Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. You are listening to Radio Islam, and I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. We are reaching you at WCEV 1450 AM, and if you are listening to our live stream, you are doing so at www.wcev1450.com. Radio Islam family, it's good to be back with you. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, Radio Islam is a live call-in talk radio program, and we air every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central from the beautiful city of Chicago, Illinois. If you haven't done so already, take a moment on the following social media platforms to follow and like us, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Radio Islam USA. As a matter of fact, there is a post already up on our Facebook page where you can, if you have a question or comment that you would like to interject into the uh, conversations tonight, you can feel free to do so there. Or, uh, as I mentioned, you can reach us also on Twitter at Radio Islam USA. Uh, Also, make sure that you do stop by our site, www.radioislam.com, where you can check out guest bios, pictures, articles, and a lot more content uh, that's just waiting for you and you know, we hope you enjoy it. We put it there for you, for you, the listener. Uh, so what else? Oh, today's episode, uh, as with every day, uh, our episodes are available generally the following day around noon or something, you know, something around that. Uh, they are normally available at any place that you get your podcast at. So SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, you can find Radio Islam there. Follow us uh, and make sure that if you have comments, uh, any feedback that you have for us, we readily accept it. are always happy to get it from you. So happy Monday, Radio Islam family. If you'd like to give us a call uh, throughout uh, throughout this hour, you can do so at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. So today we've got a we've got a short week. This is a holiday, a holiday week, uh, the Thanksgiving holiday coming up. Um, but even with the holiday, it does not uh, it does not um, it doesn't erase the, the problems or issues that we we constantly bring up uh, that we're fighting for, that we're trying to make sure uh, that we find solutions to. Uh, and one of those issues, which is uh, particularly important, is bullying. So bullying, it gets a lot of attention in the news, and rightfully so. And I want to share a few, uh, a few quick uh, statistics with you before we bring on our guest uh, with us tonight. So uh, according to uh, national uh, statistics, 28% of U.S. students in grades 6 to 12 have experienced bullying. 20% of U.S. students in grades 9 through 12 have experienced bullying. And approximately 30% of young people admit to bullying others. Uh, As far as cyberbullying goes, 9% of students in grades 6 to 12 have experienced cyberbullying. 15% of high school students, grades 9 and 12, were electronically bullied in the past year. Uh, These are uh, astounding numbers. And uh, with regards to how often, uh, in one large study, about 49% of children and grades 4 to 12 reported being bullied by other students at school at least once during the past month, whereas 30.8% reported bullying others during that time. So it's an issue that is prevalent um, in our society today, and it's, it's something that is not going to go on its own. So we're really pleased to have with us um, from the American Muslim Healthcare 
um, organization, uh, professional, excuse me, uh, Roxana Chaudhry, and they are doing some phenomenal work, uh, the American Muslim Healthcare Professionals. Uh, they have the first ever, ever national interfaith anti-bullying summit, How We Can Make a Difference, which is coming up Saturday, December 2nd. So I want to thank you and welcome you to the show, Roxana. Yes, thank you, Brother Tariq. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you to your listeners for being interested in this really um, important issue. Yes, it is definitely our pleasure to have you uh, and, to, and to talk about it. So this is the first, the first of its kind, the first uh, approach where it's an interfaith gathering focused on bullying. How did this come about? So, Brother Tariq, we decided to tackle an issue that we had seen was becoming more of an issue in the social climate that we are currently living in. We looked at statistics much like what you mentioned just now across communities, and not just at the American Muslim community, but in the Jewish faith community, the Sikh communities, and Hindu community, Hindu American communities, and saw a rise of incidents of bigotry, discrimination, and most importantly, bullying, which really was being targeted towards our youngest members of our communities. So when we saw the statistics rising and we saw the increased incidence of hate speech um, and on our campuses as well as in schools where uh, uh, sort of uh, ideas about faiths were being uh, per- uh, misnomers or preconceived ideas about faith were being perpetuated, mm-hmm. we decided that we really needed to attack this issue head-on. Um, American Muslim students themselves all experience bullying at a level at for, uh, 42% across the nation and 53% in California. And I'm not sure if that was part of your t- statistics, but it, additionally, the Jewish faith organizations have reported um, through a national survey that their incidents of bigotry and discrimination and prejudice have increased, uh, have doubled essentially since the beginning of 2016. So we had seen these incidents rise and we decided we need to come together with as many communities as possible, communities as possible to fight this battle. Right. So uh, let me ask, where, where I mentioned the date, but where actually uh, is the uh, conference, where is, it, where is it taking place? So the National Interfaith Anti-Bullying Summit is taking place at the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. on December 2nd and December 3rd. Okay. All right. Now, um, as that w- a part of the research, no, I was not aware of the numbers that you gave regarding Muslim students, their, um, their percentages, and that for some reason I'm thinking that those numbers are probably higher than the average Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, they are considerably higher. Overall, in the United States, about 30% of students report bullying. So when you take Muslim students in a national survey at 42%, you know, close to half, that's a significant change right. for Muslim students right. um, and difference. So as a part of the, well, will a part of the summit be addressing, um, addressing schools, uh, being that uh, as, as far as the, the numbers that I was able to look at, and by no means am I an expert at all, but I wanted to acquaint myself to some degree, um, that it appears that most bullying is is occurring within the schools. Yes, so is that a right. major part of the summit? So, uh, yes, an integral part of the summit is going to focus on the environment of schooling and communities that support those educational systems. 
Mm-hmm. So sometimes we are going to be hearing from youth activists and organizations that work in schools and in their communities, but nevertheless, they are of school age um, from elementary to high school. So we are really looking at that demographic. We're looking at, um, you know, a particularly important area of um, every community, which is the, the youngest people that live in those communities and how we can track what is being done when there are faith-based or religious-based bullying incidents is through schools. So we've invited educators, teachers, student organizations, counselors that work within schools, and uh, also uh, advocates who um, work on the issue of bullying but have the experience of knowing what it's like to be targeted uh, for uh, the young people that are targeted based on their faith background. So it really is looking at that as the primary environment. Okay. So from your experience, um, is, there, is there a connection between the larger national strategy and uh, local imp- implementation uh, of strategies to combat bullying? Or, does, or, 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 is there a national, or is there a national strategy in place, or is this summit kind of an idea, a place to, to build one? So that's exactly it. The summit is really... In our, in our view, is going to be a place that will start to build a national strategy and is driven by communities mm-hmm. and not necessarily from, um, you know, uh, just government actors because in the past we've had that where bullying has been, tar- as a, has been uh, taken in as a really important public health issue. But right now we're facing a situation where bullying that's based on religious faith, religious and faith issues or faith-based background is not being seen as 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 a part of that very large public health issue as far as it comes to uh, uh, different communities across the country. So bullying itself has absolutely been declared that. But as we see the rise of incidents of bigotry and discrimination that actually is getting filtered down to schools, that is not becoming uh, as as um, easily seen as um, the impact of bullying, and nor is the research there yet. So we are really trying to bring together the people that we need to develop those launching starting points where we come together as a country, seeing all of our communities affected, um, and seeing how the messages that young people receive in their environments, whether it's adults, role models or media messages actually are getting filtered down to those young, youngest generations and being uh, perpetuated in schools. So when we look at that, we really want to come to a place where we can collaborate and, and really say that we're willing to do the hard work that it takes to tackle this issue. Absolutely. Is there a connection uh, that you see, I shouldn't say that you see, but how was the connection addressed between the vast amounts of money that are pushed into um, to this into an Islamophobic uh, narrative, uh, where Islamophobia in particular has become, in, in a lot of instances, normalized, uh, and it does filter into the school systems and experience, and it, it impacts the uh, experiences of Muslim students. Uh, is how is that being taken into consideration, or is that something that, that is also to be grappled with? So we are taking the idea that Islamophobia exists and, you, and, and 
utilizing what we know about that and what we are seeing in schools as messages that are getting passed down into those environments through uh, our most important figures, which are our role models. So what happens is these messages, whether they are coming from whatever source, um, are being taken in as fact for young people to believe ideas about Islam, about Muslim students, about the beliefs of that faith, of our faith, so that what happens is anyone in the environment who absorbs that information very easily uh, repeats that. And, and essentially, it's, when it comes from an adult or a role model, it sounds like it's the truth. Right. So, and we have to always look at that as the perspective of a child, and, and whether they're in high school or they are very young. You know, the impressionable developmental age of those of, of that generation is often, um, you know, mediated by adults and role models. So a lot of that information can actually get filtered through the adults that are in the environment. And that's when it really becomes problematic. If those notions are not corrected, that's where you develop a generation with those, that type of misinformation about other faiths, especially what we see in Islamophobic um, ideas um, in the youngest of our people. So the youngest of people that are going to build, essentially, or hope to build harmonious communities later on together with people of very diverse backgrounds. So if that information um, really gets reborn and reborn in different ways, the danger is that Islamophobia does, in fact, become uh, never corrected. You know, the ideas that are that are that it's predicated on does ne- never gets corrected. Right. Uh, so, so we are using using what we have seen from that in hearing from different organizations that work directly in developing interventions on correcting misperceived notions about Muslims. You know, in schools, whether it's intervention based prevention-based, or actually bringing together Muslim students with other Muslim students to hear their perspectives. We have a youth group that brings together different faiths, and which would include Muslim students talking about who they are to other students of diverse backgrounds. So, you know, we realize how important it is, um, the religious literacy element, coming, but coming directly from people who are uh, members of that community to be heard. Right. And we're hoping that the summit can model that as well as develop new models. Well, l- let me ask this. In, in this work that, that you're doing, um, what are some of the things that most people might be surprised about with regard to bullying? Because bullying gets a lot. I shouldn't say it gets a lot, but it, it's something that's been it's been in the media. You know, it's been talked about in terms of uh, the, the, its relationship to, to suicide rates among youth. Um, what are some of the things that, that you have seen that maybe the average person might not be aware of with regard to bullying? Sure. In my experience as well, I am a clinical psychologist, so I have seen both uh, victims and, and, and people who have suffered the effects of religious-based bullying or faith-based bullying. And what I've seen is that, and surprising, I think, is the number of students that really experience this but are having a lot of difficulty accepting that it's based on their faith or their religious background mm-hmm. um, because, you know, it is hard to 
um, really accept that perhaps there is an environment that where you didn't feel in- included already is further marginalizing you based on something that really, um, you know, has to do with your belief system. And maybe it's not an obvious target at first. So a lot of students grapple with how much to hide their own faith background based on what they deal with. And, you know, they don't want to maybe admit it's that, but at the same time being uncertain, they might end up hiding that as one element of who they are. So, you know, the question is, do we really want individuals to live in the society, no matter what faith background they are, feeling that their very beliefs are the reason that they are not being included, that they're being marginalized and being refused opportunities. Um, You know, and a lot of people would say that, you know, everyone is really allowed to believe what they want, might say that on the surface, but when people are, when young kids are targeted for that, you know, that takes that child into an area of questioning whether he should even admit that he believes in what he believes. Mm. And that's a really surprising aspect of it. There's a lot of shame about experiencing this type of bullying. So, so in, in your experience, um, hmm, I'm really thinking how, how to say this. So bullying, especially within, within schools, grammar schools, uh, the early years, mm-hmm. these are formative, formative years. Uh, if it is something that is not reported, which in a lot of instances it's not, uh, is there the possibility that it's going to have adverse effects on them as they come out of their formative years? Yes, there is. I, I mean, going back, I would say that the, not, the education department does have a forum on their website where you can go and make a formal complaint about being targeted for your religious religion. Mm -hmm. in your schooling environment. The problem is where does that information go? And we want to develop better interventions for that, I think. But going back to the second part then is what are the long-term effects of this? What we have seen is that bullying has considerable long-term effects in terms of one's mental health. And uh, there has been a recent study that actually talked about a possibility that bullying, the long-term of effects of bullying, could be worse than some forms of abuse. And that is because it is coming from the larger environment in which you are trying to integrate yourself. And um, the messages of the cultural environment that you live in become really important in your formative years, really, really important in understanding who you are and what your role and place in society is. So when you receive the messages that, Uh, based on your belief system, you are really not being included. And not only that, people really don't find uh, you to be of any competence, really, because of that that faith or those beliefs, you know, that causes an incredible amount of anxiety and even depression in a lot of cases. And that can lead to that effect of suicidality, which you mentioned, in young people. But long-term, individuals really suffer in terms of their self-esteem and being able to assert themselves as, as members of a society that are really working with other types of individuals, diverse individuals, um, and being fully integrated in their workplaces and being able to feel productive in their lives. That self-esteem factor has an incredible amount of importance in how we go about and uh, build lives for ourselves that are healthy and manageable. 
Right. So it really has long-term effects for the type of citizens we are raising and um, whether we want to further marginalize individuals who may already experience marginalization, but then further marginalize them because of uh, that belief system early on, you know, having such long-term detrimental effects. So, uh, Dr. Roxana, you mentioned that this summit is open not only to um, uh, to mental, uh, not to mental, but to medical uh, professionals, but educators, uh, students, activists. Um, can you give the uh, listening audience a little more information for those who might be uh, in the area or who might be interested in attending? Or is, or is attendance still open right now? Yes, attendance is still open. And what we are doing is we are, we are really making sure to let young people know that are in school right now. So we want a very good contingent of people that are in school right now in those formative years. If you're a middle schooler and you'd like to attend, you're open to attend. And we're in the Washington, D.C. area, so the area schools do know about this. And then, of course, um, we are, um, you know, we do have discounted hotel rates for professionals who are able to fly in. Um, But again, if you're working in or around education in any form, Mm -hmm. this is a really important topic for you to be attached to. So if you are a teacher, if you are a young person who's developed an organization in your school or community that works with um, differences or better knowing your neighbors or also really is connecting young, young people, this could be a really important summit for you to, to attend. At the same time, we would like counselors and school professionals other type of school school administrators to attend because we really think if we can change that schooling environment um, with the adults as well in terms of their literacy um, overall, but also utilize their knowledge to develop the best new solid recommendations and solutions, you know, that is how we will move forward between between all of our communities that have partnered on this summit. I'd also like to mention we have partnered with the Hindu American Foundation. We've partnered with Islamic Networks Group. We've, pl- we've partnered with Sikh Kid to Kid. Mm-hmm. And we do have support from the uh, Sisterhood of Shalom Shalom, Sh- Shalom Shalom. And we also have support from numerous other organizations. So we are, um, you know, ready to invite uh, religious us and civic leaders as well, who are really hoping to help young people cope with today's social climate. So you might even be an activist in, on social justice and you would attend because this would apply to you. Right. The other thing I can say is that we will be hearing from bullying victims themselves at the summit. Mm-hmm. And that will be a really interesting piece. And one of the few places that this gets highlighted, I think, nationally. So we're really excited to be able to offer that narrative to people who, um, you know, who may not have heard it but are working in this area. Well, it's critical work, and it's great that you all are, 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 are doing it. And uh, I have one last question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, this, is this going to be streamed at all? Was there any, or is it you have to be there to get it? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. We are not live streaming it, but it will likely um, be pieced together as a video on the American Muslim Health Professionals website. Awesome. So you will be able to get a good summary. And then I also want to mention, finally, at the end of the summit, a really important element is that we will be publishing a white paper 
with uh, the collaboration of the Institute of Social Policy and Understanding. Mm-hmm. And that will have a compendium of resources and uh, a solid uh, summary of recommendations and solutions that this summit uh, group has come together and formed. So that will be available to all individuals nationally as soon as that is complete. And that will be a really important resource, we think, for the future of this area and being able to tackle this issue. Well, Dr. Roxana Chaudhry, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about this. And we wish, uh, we, we pray that everything goes well. This is uh, extremely important work that you all are doing. And uh, we look forward to being able to uh, to, to see the, uh, the end results of it. Uh, oh, could you give the listeners the website address? Sure. The website address is www.amhp.us slash summit. Okay, great. Well, thank you once again, and we pray everything goes well and that you have a great holiday. Thank you so much, Tarek. I'm so happy to be here, and inshallah, we have a lot of your listeners uh, that will go to the website later and or attend the summit. Thank you again inshallah. for having me. Yes, ma'am. Assalamu alaikum. Okay. All right, Radio Islam family, we've been uh, speaking with Dr. Roxana Chaudhry uh, with AMP. That is the American Muslim Healthcare Professionals about their upcoming uh, National Interfaith Anti-Bullying Summit. Uh, when we come back, we are going to be uh, we're going to have a conversation with Sophia Shacker, uh, who is with the Sabil Food Pantry. So we are listening to Radio Islam. We're going to take a quick moment, and we'll be right back. Traffic had stopped. Pedestrians were lying on sidewalks and curled up in doorways. There was no sign of violence, no wrecks, nothing like that. It was as if the people in New York had simply decided to stop whatever they were doing and pass out. Ice coated my stomach. The invasion has started. To find out what happens next, read Percy Jackson and the Olympians by Rick Reardon. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri, was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent, one in 260,000. The odds of him having 15 career NASCAR victories, one in 1.7 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back, Radio Islam family. This is your host, Tariq el And we are starting off our week in a 
in a really good way. Hopefully we are doing so with a uh, spirit of gratitude. Uh, for those of you who'd like to give us a call, feel free to do so at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. Uh, this being a holiday week, this is a short week for most folks, uh, this being the Thanksgiving holiday week, uh, regardless of your uh, your thoughts or your uh, uh, ideology or understanding of it, uh, is generally a uh, a day. That's a day where families are able to get together, they're able to reflect on uh, the, the mercies that they are the recipients of, uh, and, and it's a time, it's a time for families to come together. Uh, but the reality is, once again, is, uh, as we started out mentioning that the holidays don't dictate uh, or they don't erase, I should say. They don't erase the, the needs uh, and the defic- deficiencies that many households, that many families uh, deal with. And a big part of that is hunger. Uh, and right now, one in six people in America face hunger. Uh, the USDA... Uh, defines food insecurity as the lack of access at times to enough food for all household members. Now, in 2011, households with children reported a significantly higher food insecurity rate than households without children. So that was 20.6% versus 12.2%. Um, and also, food insecurity exists in every county in America. In 2013, 17.5 million households were food insecure. That's a astronomical number Uh, and that's 2013 so we can only imagine that the numbers have gone up since so more and more people are relying on food banks and pantries Uh, as a matter of fact according to the the last budget I believe uh, that's I think the number was around seven billion dollars that was taken from uh, food stamps and that basically equated to those people who, who are on it Uh, having to go without food for a week. That's basically the equivalent of that. Uh, So food banks become much, much more important. They become an integral part of the lives of people who work, who get up every day to go to work, but unfortunately are in positions where they don't have enough money to put food on the table. And the numbers are looked at at 49 million Americans, uh, which are struggling to put food on the table. And uh, lastly, in the U.S., hunger isn't caused by a lack of food, but rather continued prevalence of poverty. So I give you those things to reflect on uh, as we move into a conversation we, we had earlier, a little bit earlier today, with uh, Sophia Shacker, who is with the uh, Seville Food Pantry. And they have a, uh, an annual turkey drive so we're able to talk with her and you know folks that are out there doing this type of work making sure that families uh, during these times where they are coming together are able to do it in a way where uh, they're not reminded of what they don't have and they're able that that's so important so uh, with that um, we're going to go ahead and take a listen to a conversation with Sophia Shacker. Thank you for joining us, Sophia. Uh, so you are the turkey drive coordinator with the uh, Sabil Pantry. Is yes. that correct? Um, so I am uh, one of five or six people now. It's grown over the last couple of years. Um, but, yes, I do head up the turkey drive 
along with uh, Dr. Jihad Shashara, Faiz Kamal, Oman Chaudhry, Masuma Rashid, and Nancy Yusuf. Okay. Now, you all had a pretty, uh, you started out, you're, you had a turkey drive today, as a matter of fact. That is exactly right. Half oh. of our turkey drive took place today, and the rest will take place tomorrow. It, you know, this is the first year we're doing it over the course of two days because we have grown um, in the amount of turkeys we're providing. Last year was the first year that we were able to provide 5,000 turkeys. Wow. And this year we were able to meet that goal again. So alhamdulillah, we were able to provide turkeys to eight different Chicago public schools and to Iman. Um, Iman uh, is um, Iman's uh, center, which is located in, at Marquette Park. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, we, we love our good friends over at Iman. How did the idea come about to, to get involved in this aspect of service? So that's a great question. So the Turkey Drive actually is in its 17th year. Oh. But this is the second year that we've expanded it to 5,000 turkeys. Um, it started after September 11, mm-hmm. when uh, one of our friends, Kamran Mamon, who is a civil rights attorney, was um, just feeling um, inspired to do something after um, that event, unfortunate event. Um, all of us were feeling really, you know, um, just like we needed to do something good for the community. And so he went to his friends, asked for um, donations, and um, just bought a couple turkeys. Now, at that time, his wife, who's an amazing person in her own right, she um, was doing her dissertation in social work and was working in Chicago Public Schools and just asked her school what she could do. Could she provide turkeys? And they connected her with what is now known as Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. At that time, it was a different name. But um, Emmett Till said, yes, please, we would love that. And so Kamran Neman and his wife, Sadia, bought some turkeys with donations from friends and provided probably half a dozen. This is back in 2001. And, um, and then it just kind of kept growing. It became more popular. Um, the school was very supportive, very grateful. Um, and so Kamran came to my husband and me, Jihad Shashara and myself, um, and said, hey, you guys are really, um, you know, well, kind of well-connected. Um, you can probably do this better than I can. And so we kind of took it over. It was, um, the drive had taken place for several years at that time. And we had started a group called American Muslims for Activism and Learning. Mm-hmm. And it was a listserv. But we knew quite a few folks that were wanting to do good works, and we put the word out and were able to get enough funds at that time to fund the entire school, Emmett Till, and that was around 500 students. Wow. Mm-hmm. We realized how um, people were just willing to, wanting to do this, um, looking for a place to do something like this. Um, and so it grew from one school to two schools to two communities. We had started at that time donating to Iman as well. And then we realized we had enough funds to provide for more. And we went to uh, um, the principal of Emma Till and asked if we could do more. And he said, yeah, we're actually part of a consortium of schools called the Woodlawn Promise Community. And so we started donating to that, that group as well. It included schools like Fisk. Um, and then what we re- somebody brilliant at Emmett Hill realized had this great idea. 
to to incentivize Turkey, uh, the Turkey Drive, by telling parents that if you come to Parent Teacher Conference, you you'll definitely get a turkey no matter what. But if you come to Parent Teacher Conference, you will receive your turkey ahead of everybody else, and you won't have to stand in line. And what that did was increase the participation from anywhere from 30 to 40 percent, I believe, to 80 to 90 percent. That one thing, wow. which was a you know, donation of a turkey, which costs anywhere between 15 to 17 dollars, drove parent-teacher conference rates through the roof. That's amazing. And the principals themselves of all the schools that we're now providing turkeys for, I heard from the Dulles principal last year that he himself couldn't believe that that's what brought parents. It was allowed to bring parents in and to connect with their school in such a way and just really has tightened the bond and the relationship between parents and families and kids and the school. Um, and has really been such a wonderful thing. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yes. I, 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 got, I got teary when I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, and I see why. Um, it, so it sounds like it was really just an organic growth. It was a, a great idea, an opportunity to serve, and and, and you've attracted other like-minded uh, people. So let me ask this. How do you select your, your partners? What, what's that process like? Yeah, so um, initially when we were first doing it, it was extremely grassroots where a couple of families were coming together. Um, we just, you know, people just donated 20 30 40 50 maybe a hundred, couple hundred dollars. But when... Um, so uh, full disclosure, um, our, our partner, in order to get um, to do this operation, is IFANCA, Islamic Food and Nutrition Council of America, mm-hmm. and their subsidiary, which is the Beal Food Pantry, and they are a non-for-profit. They are a 501c3. So every donation, every dollar that you give to the, to the Chicago Muslim Turkey Drive is tax deductible. And that allowed our donations to skyrocket because... They were now people could now give much more and receive much more, and um, it just helped our the drive expand tremendously. Ifanka saw Ifanka's mission is to um, promote halal but also community service, mm-hmm. and they saw what what um, what the parent teacher conference rate the influence of the partnership between the Turkey Drive and parent teacher conference and just was enamored with that. And they were the ones who came to us last year and said, we would love for this drive to expand to 5,000 turkeys. And we ourselves didn't know how to get that done, but we went to Emmett Till and the Consortium with Lam Promise and said, can we expand this to all the schools in your, in your um, consortium? And um, they said yes, and that's how we were really able to get it done. So it was a partnership between Asanka and Sabil, a grassroots organization, and the schools. Well, that's wonderful, uh, and may Allah continue to bless those efforts. Uh, that just here, just reflecting back on the impact on the school uh, and parent participation, uh, that's a model that I hope that I hope that uh, folks that are outside of that consortium are looking at. Absolutely, I mean, I think this is inspiring um, folks all across. Um, you know, people have found us on Facebook. I just met two lovely guys this morning that are new to the Muslim community mm-hmm. in Chicago. One is uh, one gentleman from Cleveland, one um, gentleman, I believe, from California. And, you know, they're just, they were just inspired by what the drive is doing um, and just showed up without knowing who we were. 
<laughs> what we're about. They just wanted to help, and um, they've helped, they helped me out for the last four hours, took them all around town, and um, that's what it's done. It's brought people that don't had did not know each other beforehand mm-hmm. together. Um, it allows you know like-minded people to just um, to network and, and feel good for a morning. Um, and to take part in a tradition that spans um, all ethnicities, all uh, denominations, all faiths, no faith. I mean, everybody in the country. It's just so um, amazing that all of us are going to be pretty much eating the same menu on Thursday. Right. And, um, you know, there's, and the menu consists of vegetarian, too, so, you know, and vegan, too. So everyone has... <laughs> has an item on the table. Right. Um, but really the most important part is that it brings families and loved ones and the community together. So let me ask this. How can how can our listeners, how can the Radio, Radio Islam family support this continued good work? Uh, you mentioned that uh, Sabil Food Pantry is a 501c3? Correct. So uh, where would they need to go? Uh, is there a, a website? Is there a Facebook page? Uh, anything like that? Yeah, great question. So, um, very easy to find us uh, on the internet. We are sabilpantry.org, S as in Sam, A B W E L, pantry.org, O R G. You can find our Facebook page, Chicago Muslim Turkey Drive. Um, and those are the two easiest places to find us on the web. Okay. Uh, let me ask one other question. What other, mm-hmm. um, in addition to this, uh, to this great, this great and uh, needed service, uh, the turkey drive. Are there any other signature programs that uh, Sibyl Pantry has? You know, they do have ongoing. Um, they have a facility. They have a, a brick and mortar um, building mm-hmm. on Belmont. I believe it's on the north side, okay. and so they're always open oh, for great. families and people to walk in and avail their services. Um, but I. Uh, to be honest, I do not know of any one um, event that takes place on the scale that the, tur- the turkey drive does. Well, that's a huge endeavor in and of itself. <laughs> so, <laughs> once again... It uh, certainly is. Yes. So, um, once again, would you go ahead and just give that website again, so just in case anybody yeah. missed it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you. The website is org. S as in Sam, A, B as in boy, double E, L as in Larry, Pantry. P-A-N-T-R-Y dot org, O-R-G. And you can find, um, we were so fortunate to have media coverage last year. Uh, we made the front page of the Chicago Tribune. Awesome. And those links, um, I think, I believe are there as well. So it's really just a great thing um, that takes place, um, and we just want to keep it going. To believe that it's gone on for 17 years is just mind-boggling, but yeah. just a testament to um, the, the staying power of something that's so... Um, needed and 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 just loved absolutely absolutely radio slime family we've we've been talking with sophia shaker from uh sabia food pantry uh they just gave out uh their first wave of turkeys today and are you up again tomorrow we absolutely are tomorrow first on the list is emmett phil in uh jackson park just south of hyde park um a couple other schools fisk elementary Carnegie um, will all be receiving turkeys tomorrow on Tuesday. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, have a great holiday, and uh, may Allah continue to bless the work that you all are doing uh, and bless those who receive uh, who are the beneficiaries of this work. 
So Inshallah. Thank you so much. We couldn't do it without you guys. <laughs> and thank you so much for allowing us to let everyone know um, about this great event. Thank Absolutely. You. Thank you. All right. Assalamu alaikum. All right, Radio Islam family. Uh, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in a moment. We're going to close out tonight. Just a quick reflection on uh, on some folks that are not really getting as much press as they should. Uh, our brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico uh, who are still dealing with the effects of Hurricane Maria. So you're listening to Radio Islam. We'll be back in just a moment. That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back, Radio Islam family. I'm your host, Tariq el As always, time, time flies. But don't let this hour go by if you have not already done so. Make sure you take a moment and stop by our Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure that you follow, that you like us, that you can stay in contact with us. Let us know what you think. Uh, about the topics we're covering, what we're talking about. Uh, That's really important. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you have any last-minute thoughts that you'd like to throw in, our number is 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. So as I mentioned earlier, that uh, we all know that this is a a time, we're, we're into that season where People are looking forward to slowing down a little bit, being able to connect. Uh, many of us lead very busy, uh, busy lives, and we appreciate, we look forward to the moments that we're able to, to, to stop and just be still and connect with our family, our friends, our loved ones. And so this is that time of the year, but it's also really important for us to make sure that we don't allow ourselves to go uh, into a vacuum, that we don't allow ourselves to forget about uh, those who are less fortunate, those who are still dealing with uh, the real trials uh, of life. Uh, and that is, uh, case in point, is in uh, the people of Puerto Rico. Now, these are U.S. citizens, uh, and they went through quite a bit just to get uh, a response. Uh, the response that they received uh, was nothing like the 
uh, response um, that that followed Hurricane Harvey. So right now, uh, I just looked. It says that um, after a sur survey of 112 Puerto Rican funeral homes uh, to check the accuracy of the hurricane death toll, uh, the numbers that they found are nothing like the numbers that have been uh, that have been you know that have been touted that have been reported uh, in the mainstream media. So, and if you'd like to take a look at it yourself, I would uh, definitely uh, encourage you to do so, and just to stay abreast of what is going on there, because unfortunately, you know, it is out of sight, out of mind. That's often, you know, how things, uh, how things go. So uh, it says that uh, Puerto Rico is saying that 55, you know, as a state, they're saying 55 have died. But funeral home directors are claiming that that number is actually closer to 500. That it's actually, they're saying it's 499 uh, deaths. Now, how they are attributing these deaths, uh, I can't, I can't speak to that. Whether they're saying that those folks who died did not die as a result of uh, Maria, but they may have died, you know, days later. Or these were people who died because they did not have access to water or access to food. Uh, but whatever the situation is, uh, these are people who are still in need of assistance. They are still of a pe a people who are in need, uh, a lot of need, uh, in terms of trying to uh, repair infrastructure, um, you know, there's there's a lot of need there. And we want to make sure that, that we don't forget about them. And we don't forget about all those who are going without, all those who are uh, dealing with difficulty. So I think that is probably the common theme uh, throughout tonight's show, uh, whether we're talking about bullying uh, and uh, its contributors, uh, ways, strategies to deal with it. Uh, AMP, American Muslim Healthcare Professionals, they're dealing with it by... Uh, you, by putting on an interfaith summit, by bringing folks in from from all uh, from different denominations, and realizing that we have a common problem, and uh, we have you know it's in our interest, you know it's our responsibility to deal with it, or we're talking about the Sabil uh, pantry and the work that they have done, uh, and I hope Radio Islam family, I hope everybody heard that one thing that uh, Sophia mentioned in terms of how uh, how they've incentivized uh, the turkey giveaway. Now, it may seem like a small thing, but uh, to, to hear, to say that, you know, if you show up right now or if you show up for parent-teacher night, then you get your turkey early. That may seem like a small thing, but the fact is the numbers showed that the response that they got was overwhelming. They had not seen a type of uh, participation. And it's not a, a, a judgment issue. Uh, the conditions that people uh, live under, that, peop that people deal with every day, you know, we're not all in the same position. You know, we don't understand, um, we don't understand life necessarily. I shouldn't say we, but everybody, everybody has not been on the receiving end of needing those type of, uh, of services. So uh, we appreciate those people that are taking their time uh, to give of their resources, to, to bring other folks in, uh, and make sure that they are not forgetting about those people who are in need. So uh, we, we appreciate that and uh, applaud those efforts and pray that 
uh, pray for their for their for their blessings and pray pray that their efforts uh, continue uh, to expand and they and they reach those who are most in need. So Radio Islam family, I say all of that simply to say let's just keep those who are less fortunate, uh, who are underserved or improperly served. Let's keep those folks in our minds in our prayers uh, and do what we can uh, out of what we have. So tonight's engineer at WCEV has been Ramon. We thank you so much, Ramon, for making sure we come through loud and clear. Our in-studio engineer, the impressive one, Ibrahim Beg. I'm your host and producer, Tariq el Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. The views and uh, thoughts that have been expressed by the host and or guest are theirs and should not be taken as representative of sound vision. Uh, we look forward to seeing everyone tomorrow evening at 6 p.m. Uh, this is a, a, a great week. I know I'm certainly looking forward to uh, being able to get a little bit of slow time in. We'll see how that works because uh, this weekend just passed me by. Uh, it was yeah, it was Friday and now we're back here Monday. So, But that's a good thing. It's called a life of purpose. So Radio Slime family, as always, we're looking forward to talking to you tomorrow. And I'm going to leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.